Well, friends, welcome to Vision Sunday. You can grab yourself a seat. How fantastic have the band led us in worship this morning. So beautiful. Uh, it, it is such a gift for us to sit under the faithful service and gifts of volunteers in our church. It is, it is amazing. My name is Pastor Michael Hands, and I'm the lead minister here at New Life. And this, friends, is my first Sunday as uh, my first Vision Sunday as lead minister of the New Life family of churches, which I'm very excited about. Thank you for everyone that came along to our commissioning. If you joined us online for the commissioning or you were here, it was such an honor uh, for all those of you who were able to make it out. And if you weren't here, you can catch the service online. If you're wondering what a commissioning is, here are the highlights. We worshiped, the word was preached. They declared me the lead minister of New Life. That was pretty much it. And so here we are. And um, I'm so, there was a lot more than that. Went for about an hour and a half. And you're like, wow, what else did you do with your time? Bunch of dancing. It was really beautiful. <laughs> Friends, Vision Sunday for me, as for John, is such an important Sunday. In the Word of God says this, that without vision, the people perish. Without vision, the people perish. Now, if you're a leadership fanatic like me, you know many Christian leaders, this is how they start that book, their, their, their first foray into leadership thinking. They, they use it as a leadership principle that people perish without vision. But friends, vision is such a modern they were. You see, the, the kind of better translation would be without prophecy, the people perish. Now, some of you are like, prophecy? What's prophecy? Prophecy is when we, a person or a people, discern the will of God for the future and declare it to the people of God or to the nations. It's, it's, you know, it's not as spooky or surreal as it sounds. And I believe that without the will of God discerned, without a sense of a call, yes, I, I think the people of God will perish. Because we wait not just to hear about a Savior that roamed the earth 2,000 years ago, but a living, resurrected King who still speaks today. Amen? So today is about what is the prophecy from God for this year? Where are we sensing God is leading us? And there has been uh, something God's been placing on my heart for a couple months now um, that we have been leading up to, to this point. Now, if you've been with us through January, I've got to let you know, this Vision Sunday, there are no massive reveals I'm not about to turn around and be like, we're church planting San Francisco. So you're like, what? That's the only reason why I came. Oh, we can't get there at the moment. That's the only reason why we're not doing it. Um, but, but genuinely, it's not that we're not going to church plant in the future. We will. We're committed to that. And that's the future of our church and our family. But we sense God saying something that we've actually been leading through our rhythm series in January up until this point. You will know where we're heading for this year if you've been in church the last couple of weeks. Because it all centers around a question that we were fascinated with when we were young. When you grow up, who do you want to become? In fact, do you remember that question when you were five or six? One of the coolest questions you could answer. I was like, man, when I grow up, I wanted to be the first spy working for ASIO that was a Christian. Now, I didn't know if any, there were any Christian spies. I don't know if there are any people here working for ASIO. We'll never know if there are any people here working for ASIO. In which case, love Australia, word up. And the board I would love you to do, why don't you tell the person next to you, what did you want to become? When you, were, when you were five years old. What did you want to become? Tell the person next to you. Some of you are literally still looking at me like, I don't like the person next to me. Pretend. Turn to the person next to you and that'd be great. If you're at home, we'd love you to type in the chat. Who, who did you want to become when you were four or five years old? 
As most dreams, when we're four or five, they change. There's always that one guy that's like, when I was two years old, I wanted to become a doctor, and here I am, I'm a neurosurgeon. But for the rest of us in the world, um, life changes. I realized that to be a spy, you needed to be coordinated and not clumsy, so that wrote me off for that. Then I was thinking I could join the army when I was about eight, nine, or 10. I was really excited, and, and then once again, the clumsy thing kind of played into that. Then I got into high school, and I wanted to be a lawyer. So excited because I love to speak. It's a gifting I have. I love to talk in front of people. I think I'm gifted at it. I'm like, I could do it forever. And then I found out that uh, the, being a lawyer in Australia is nothing like what you see on American television. I'm like, no, that, that doesn't sound like that much fun. And then unless you are a lawyer, in which all power to you, or grace of God to you, uh, I want to be a journalist. And then when I was 16, I remember this distinct moment when I was reading a book and I thought to myself, I want to become a pastor. And here I am today. And, and some of you are like, you wanted to become a pastor when you were 16? Yeah, I had no friends at school. Um, so my hope was to become a pastor and gain, you know, three and a half thousand more friends. So it worked pretty, it worked pretty well for me. The issue is, though, is that the, the question changes, doesn't it? We no longer really ask each other, what do you want to become? What do we ask? So what do you do? What do you do? And that's such an interesting phrase. We've lost the heart and the desire to ask the idea of who are we becoming? Even our New Year's resolutions have to do more with what we're going to achieve or what we're going to do than who we become. But here's a conviction I have as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus Christ. What we do is a fruit of who we are. What we do is a fruit of who we are. We live in a world which says who you are is a fruit of what you do. That is not a kingdom economy. That's not the way God works. You are not what you do. What you do is a fruit of who you are. So therefore, there is no greater question than we could ask this year and in 2021, the question has been burning on our hearts all through the Rhythm Series and this Sunday, on Vision Sunday, on Prophecy Sunday, if you will, we believe God is asking us to ask ourselves this question. Who are we Becoming. Who are we becoming? Why? Why is this a question we have been saying every week for the last six weeks? Because the heart of new life, if you're new here today, I get to tell you what our heart is as a church. It's a beautiful heart. We believe that we are called to see more people become more like Jesus. You will hear this said every single Sunday at our church because it's, it's our passion. It's what motivates us. It is, if you will, our calling as a called out people of God. But have you ever wondered what this actually means for you? Have you ever wondered, you, whoever you are across this room or joining us online, have you ever wondered what this actually means for you? What does it mean for you to become more like Jesus? I've said it often that the Western church is filled with many Christians, but few people actually following Jesus. What does it mean? I don't think there's any more important question you can ask this year than how are you becoming more like Christ? Why? Can you imagine how confusing it would be for that five, six-year-old who sees a caterpillar spend months laboring and eating and preparing itself, and this caterpillar, after a couple of months of gorging itself on all of the flora in your backyard, forms itself into a chrysalis and into a cocoon in preparation. 
And this five, six-year-old is so excited because what's about to happen is transformation is, is this beautiful becoming as a caterpillar is in tr- transformed into a beautiful flying insect. Can you imagine that after weeks of waiting, the cocoon shakes and moves and as it, th- th- this, this insect springs forward, much to the disappointment of the five and six-year-old, what emerges is a caterpillar. The five and six-year-old would be like, go back inside and try again. You got it wrong. And if not, they would be very confused. Why on earth were you in the cocoon for so long? So too is a world confused. For a people who claim to be Christians and emerge from Sundays, from a lifetime, looking nothing like Christ. The Christian faith is a transformative faith. And one of the things that's been haunting me since taking on the role of lead minister has been this idea, if someone was to be a part of New Life for the next five years, who would they become? Who would they become? And we will have failed as a church if nothing has shifted, if they are nothing like Christ. This is central to who we are. This is essential to who Jesus was. You see, Jesus would make these invitations to people all the time to become something other than what they were. We read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 to 20, a story of Jesus calling the first disciples. We read, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Here we have, friends, an invitation and a promise. Now, if you've read this verse before, as some of us have, you might be like, oh, this is just a great moment for Simon Peter. In fact, I believe this is one of the most pivotal moments in in the early church because this invitation, these three words, come, follow me, don't just change the course of Peter and Andrew's life. I think they change the course of all humanity because these two men go on to lead one of the greatest revolutions known to mankind, to humankind, the Christian church. Come, follow me, Jesus says. And then there's a promise on the other side of it. He says, come follow me and I will make you, I will, I will lead you to become that which you could not. You will go from being a fisher of fish to being a fisher of men. Their worlds were never the same. Either was the world. Why? Because they listened to the invitation of a dusty ex-carpenter rabbi standing on the shore of Galilee. Come. Come follow me. Jesus doesn't paint for them a blueprint of what following him will look like. He doesn't say the first year is going to be this long course of study and then the second year we'll get into practical and then the third year I'm going to die and it's going to get weird and I'll write. He doesn't get into that. He tells them two things. Who thou follow and who thou become. You'll follow me. And you become something that you could never have wildly dreamed. Jesus does this all throughout the Gospels. In the Gospel of Matthew, again, chapter 11, he says that verse we've been looking at lately. Come to me, he calls, all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What's Jesus' invitation? Come to me. Walk as I walk. Carry the yoke that I carry. Carry the weight that I carry and learn from me that you might become someone who is rested, who is refreshed. These are the promises of the words of Jesus Christ. This is why at New Life, we are passionate about seeing more lawyers, 
more doctors, more unemployed and employed students, more bricklayers, plumbers, electricians, teachers, principals, CEOs, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, sons and daughters, more people becoming more like Jesus because this was God's plan for transforming the world. Maybe you're here today, it's been a while since you've been in church or you've just been kind of foraying back in. You're wondering what it means to be a Christian. I've got to let you know, being a Christian has nothing to do with sitting in church. It's what we do, but it's not central. Being a Christian isn't so much about attending a small group or an event or knowing how to sing the songs we sing. No, being a Christian is actually about being a follower of Jesus. Do you know the one you're called to follow today? These two words, so simple and beautiful. Follow, follow, follow. What does that mean? Well, to really understand what it means, we probably have to go back to the original Greek and really unpack it because the New Testament was written in Greek. And if you go back to, uh, to ancient Greek and you pull out the word for follow, what you actually find out is when they wrote the word follow, the Greek word for follow actually meant follow. <laughs> Whatever following looks like, that's what it means. That was a bait and switch because sometimes the Greek doesn't always mean that. Some of you are like, oh, this will be, in-. oh, no, disappointing. <laughs> Meets follow. You see, back in those days, rabbis, these teachers of the law, would, would see young men be trained up throughout their youth to learn the Pentateuch and the Torah. And they, they, these men would memorize the whole Old Testament. And, and then they would sit assessments. They would prove their worth of their knowledge and academia. And if they were good enough, a rabbi would come to the synagogue and would say, come, follow me. Now, if no rabbi chose you, you were not successful, which meant you had to go home and take up the trade of your father. So what we're seeing in Simon, Peter, and Andrew, who were fishermen, friends, these are college dropouts. They didn't make it. Jesus doesn't go to the synagogue. He doesn't go to the intelligentsia to look for his followers. He goes to the shores of Galilee to look for rough-necked, blue-collar workers. It's great. You know why? Because following Jesus is both for the intelligent and for people like me. Something like, oh, I'm not like you. I'm the first option, Michael. That's cool. But this is scandalous grace. Jesus says, come, follow. Who? Follow. Follow me. Because friends, the truth is that me that Jesus offers was far more than an ex-carpenter rabbi standing on the shore of Galilee. This me that Jesus declares to be is actually eternity itself encased in human flesh, entering into time itself that we might know the divine not only is real, but is heavily invested in the outcome of humankind. This me, this Jesus, wasn't just a good teacher who makes us feel nice about loving each other. It was the divine itself. We read this in the Gospel of, of John, chapter 1. He, the, the writer of the, of the Gospel of John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, God in, he was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him was made that nothing was made that has been made. Well, what, what the heck are we talking about a Word for? This makes no sense, Michael. John explains it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. The Word is Jesus Christ. The full weight of the glory of Jesus is, um, we could spend a whole series unpacking the first chapter of John. What does he tell us? Jesus 
was with God in the beginning of all things. Jesus wasn't just with God, Jesus was God. If, if you come from a different cult of Christianity, they will add an A in there that Jesus was a God. That's heretical. Jesus was not a God, He was God. And through that, we believe, what, what, what does it tell us? That through Him, all things, all things were made. Which means this dusty ex-carpenter, 30-year-old rabbi who stands on the shore of Galilee, his story didn't begin in Matthew chapter 1. It began in Genesis chapter 1, when God, the Holy Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Son together created all that was. This is the one who stands before us today and says, come follow me. Why? Why would Jesus become flesh? Why would God humble himself to become man? I love to explain this story every time that I do by, by talking about uh, Reverend Brad Foote, who's one of the ministers here at, at New York. And let's say Brad, not really, this is not a true story. Let's say Brad loves ants, right? Just obsessed with ants. And he's got an ant colony in his backyard and every day he goes out and Cheryl gives him, his wife gives him some crumbs and sprinkles it on the ants and he's like, no, I love these ants, they're amazing. And then he sees a puddle coming towards the ants. Now, we know, as Brad knows, that ants failed, that kids alive do the five. They're terrible swimmers. And so they've actually got to run away from water. And so what does Brad do? He puts the brick in front of the ants, like, don't walk that way. The, bricks, the ants walk over the brick because they don't understand. Then he puts his hand down in front of the ants, like, this is my hand. Don't walk here. I feed you every day. And the ants bite him. He's like, ah, stupid ants. Here's the question. What does Brad have to become to communicate with the ant about their impending doom? There was a murmur, no distinct response. It was like, I did that in school as well. Always correct. He has to become an ant. Brad can't become an ant, so they all die. That was a joke. That was like, they did not a real story. Somebody like, oh, David Attenborough, eat your heart out. This is horrible. But this is, it helps us understand what Jesus does. Now, the problem with the analogy is we need to recognize that God sent prophets and, and, and teachers throughout the Old Testament, but so unable was mankind to relate to what God was communicating with them, he stepped into the story himself in the form of Jesus Christ. The divine became human. As Brad could not become an ant, the divine could become a human because he created all things. See, Christ entered the narrative that, friends, he wrote so that you might learn to trust the one who holds the pen. This is God himself stepping into our story that we might be invited to step back into his. So this dusty ex-carpenter rabbi who died on a cross is now the resurrected and coming king stands on the shore of your heart today. The dawn of time, he knew your name. He looks into your eyes and he says, come, follow me and I will make you into what you could not become on your own. But the most important idea here is, is do you actually know him? Do you know him? How do we know him? By the rhythms of our life. See, the Rhythm Series wasn't just a cute way to start off January. Maybe some of you are like, I skipped church in January. It's my first Sunday back. You have a great series to catch up on all the way through January. I'd encourage you to go back and check it out. 
The reason why we did that series is because we knew where we were heading on Vision Sunday. We believe our rhythms will lead us to become because when you have a rhythm of spending time with God, you get to know God and dwell with Him. And this stuff's not easy. It's difficult. Let me be the first to say it, but it's vital to the Christian faith because, friends, we are in an epidemic at the moment where there are many Christians who do not know how to read the Word of God. It has become the pastor's job to read this and communicate it. The sad thing about that is 500 years ago was a moment called the Reformation. And in the Reformation, what happened is the Catholic Church allowed only ordained, uh, ordained priests and fathers to read the Word of God in Latin and then translate it for the people. So the only way people could know about it is if they rocked up at church or heard someone that was ordained speak about it. A guy named Martin Luther, a whole bunch of others like Calvin and other men and women rose up and decided that's actually not God's intention for his word. They translated it into common language and they passed out copies of it. They were persecuted, arrested, and they were executed, some of them, for doing so. Why? Because they took the power of God away from a select few and said this was always meant for everybody. We're now in what's known as a counter-reformation where we have... You can download this whole thing and listen to it in like dramatized versions with like, you know, the ocean waves and like building something down. It's amazing. You can listen to it. You can read it. It comes in all sorts of forms. We're in a counter-reformation that no matter how accessible this has become, we've chosen to leave it on the shelf and say, hey, that's the pastor's job. Something 500 years ago men and women died for has become optional in the Christian faith. And I do not believe that's the way that God wants it or calls it to be. Because friends, this is the most powerful book of all time. It's the most stolen book of all time. It's the best-selling book of all time. They had to take it off bestsellers list just to give J.K. Rowling a chance. In 52 countries right now, this book is illegal. Why? Because the truths in this declare that all people can be free from oppressive governments and regimes that do not want them to be free. This book is the words of life. It is the words of power. It is the very love letters from God, as St. Augustine would say. So where has our passion gone, church? Where has our passion gone? This is not a worldwide problem. It's actually a Western church problem. Because all over the world, there are communities and countries that are receiving the word of God for the first time. And they do not treat it with disdain or a door jam, but with this weeping rejoicing that the love letters from home have finally been received. So I want to take you for a moment to a Bible Society video from West Papua, where the Kimyal people received the New Testament for the first time. Some of you have seen this, some of you haven't, but may this stir in our hearts the beauty of what God calls us to receive. <laughs>
Someone asked me after the service previously, hey, how do I give towards that? It's the Bible Society organization. You can find all that online. It's a beautiful, beautiful organization. The Bible reminds me, friends, just that moment where he calls out weeping before God. Oh God, you saw it fit in this day to give us your word. What do you think their children thought about the Bible? What do you think their next generation thought as they saw their parents dance and celebrate? They must have thought this must be important. The Bible reminds me of the love of God, the faithfulness of God. It reminds me that in my suffering, God is constant and triumphant. It reminds me that I'm not the central player in this story, but there is a greater hero, a greater savior. His name is Jesus. The Bible calls me back to know his story. That's why our vision this year is to learn what it means to become like Jesus by knowing the story and the words of Jesus. So this year, we want to invite you. On your way out today, we have a gift. Something our creative team, Mel, Aaron, the whole creative team have placed together this book. Because we believe God this year is not calling us to church plant in San Fran, but he's calling us back to read the Bible together. And we're going to do it. We would love to invite you to read the Bible in a year with us. Because we believe it's one of the most informative things we can take. And to do that, we have actually got a gift which actually details our values as a church, the vision of what we're doing, and a book that actually outlines our Bible reading plan. On your way out today, you will see uh, this will be given to all those who want it. We didn't hand it out to people on the way in because we want this to be your choice. You don't have to do this. This is not compulsion. You don't, there is no guilt if you choose not to. This is an invitation to become more like Christ this year because our world needs it. All throughout the Bible reading plan, you'll see that each month we have, each week, we have these chapters we're going to read. Some of you are already like, I'm not a good reader. That's okay. This room's filled with terrible readers, I'm sure. But you know, it takes the average person 12 minutes a day to read the whole Bible in a year. 12 minutes a day. Some of you, it will take 30 minutes. For some of us, like me, it'll take 40. But that's okay, because I'm just going to turn off Netflix for 40 minutes longer. I'm going to sit with it and read it. Now, you might be like, I can't do the whole Bible, Michael. You'll see we have Genesis 1 to 3 there, but we're also reading the New Testament at the same time. If you can't do the whole Bible, just join one chapter a day through the New Testament with us. Here's what's beautiful. 
When we get to the book of Lamentations, or the, even worse, Leviticus, not worse, there's nothing worse in the Bible, the whole thing's beautiful. <laughs> Leviticus or Numbers, and someone walks up and goes, like, I can't do it anymore. I, this stuff is killing me. Someone's going to be like, I know, man, we're going to do it together. Let's grab a coffee. Step. And then there's this sense where it's like, oh, we're not alone in this. Now, some of you have already started Mickey Gumbel's Bible year and a Bible in a year plan, or you got another. That's fine. That's okay. I would love to encourage you to do it with us, but no mandating what you're already doing in your patterns with Christ. But what might it look like for a church to read the Bible? When I said this to someone, they said, oh, really? Your whole church is going to read through the Bible. This person goes to our church. They said to me, ha, huh, good luck getting 50 people. I wonder what the Kim Yao people would say to that. Because you know what? Not here. Not at New Life. No, this place is filled with faithful men and women who choose to follow Jesus, not just be Christians. And I believe, oh man, if we only had 50, God would shift and shape something. But I'm believing for thousands. I'm believing that there will be a people who will open the word, discover its power. I love this quote by John Wesley who says, Give me 100 men and women who love only God with all their heart and hate only sin with all their heart, and we will shake the gates of hell and bring in the kingdom of God in one generation. I am believing that we can see this in our day because we choose to follow the rabbi who calls us home. Will you join us? Will you be a part of this adventure of learning to become more like Jesus? And let me be real with you. It is not going to be easy, but nothing worth it ever was. It will, friends, transform your heart. And I stake my life on this. And if you join with us reading whatever version, not whatever version, but whatever part of the Bible this year you join us for, I guarantee you commit to it for a year. You will not be the same. See, we don't read the Bible to know the Bible, but to know God. Do you know him today? Another thing that we're doing is we've launched a website, church.nu slash becoming. Now, someone already jumped on there and be like, I saw a grammatical mistake. Michael, are you going to fix that? Yes, we will. Give us a bit of a moment. But on this website, we're going to put resources on it. We're going to do Bible, uh, Bible series about how to read the Bible, how to do devotion through the Bible, what to do when it's difficult. We're going to give you links to great YouTube videos and books. This will be a site for you to know you are not alone. We are not alone. Watch this space as it evolves. But why is this important? Because scriptural discernment is a core value of our church because it was a core value of Jesus Christ and all the apostles and church fathers and mothers of our faith. In the book of Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus with two disciples after he's risen from the dead. And, and he opens the scriptures with them to explain to them who he is. And when he leaves them, they say this, were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Matthew chapter 22, Jesus calls out the Pharisees who are saying some weird stuff about marriage and says, you are in error because you don't get the scriptures or the power of God. In Romans chapter 15, it says that the Bible is our hope for everything that was written in the past was written to not bore us, not put us to sleep, but to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have. That was cool. Well done. That was awesome. I wasn't expecting that. We might have hope. The joyful expectation of goodness in the future. 
And finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, Paul writes to the young church planner, but as for you, Timothy, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We are going to establish rhythms as a church this year because we will church plant again. But you know what? The world doesn't need another church filled with people who do not know the Word of God. When we replicate, we will replicate a church filled with people who are passionate about the Word of God, living by the power of the Spirit of God because they're following the Son of God. This is who we are. And everything we do this year is to shaped by this idea of healthy rhythms, which is why this Wednesday night we have J3.5, Joshua 3 verse 5, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do an amazing thing among you. Some of you are like, I thought we usually do these on Thursday. Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. And Lent is the 40-day lead-in to Easter, a deeply significant moment in the life of our church. And we want to mark it by praying and worshiping together and leaning in. If you've never come to one of these, I'd encourage you to come along and experience the fullness of the presence of God as we lean into all that He is and all that He has. Throughout this year, we're going to spend time recognizing that the Bible's not easy. Some of you tomorrow, when we begin, will open up the book of Genesis. And throughout this week, you'll go, this is really crazy. There's a lot of weird people in the book of Genesis and God's doing some weird stuff. You're allowed to say both those things, by the way. So because of that, we want to offer some teaching into it. And so next Sunday, we began our new series called Genesis, Becoming in the Wilderness. We're going back to Genesis chapter 1 to 11 this year. Next year, we'll do uh, another part in the year after another part of that. Why? Because we need to know how the story ends. We've got to go back to how the story began. Because this is the story of Jesus. It's the story of us. Straight after Easter, you might be like, well, we'll be doing some topical, you know, two, three week sermon series in Easter. No, we're going to double down. Straight after Easter, friends, we're going to go into a 12 week series through the book of Ephesians. I know some of you are sitting there going, I don't have that long an attention span. That's okay. But it's also not an excuse for us. Because I believe that when you preach the word of God, it never returns void. Hey, band, once again, I, I was, you know, we're in the early service, like, this will be your cue. And then every service, it's been like, I just walk past the cue without letting them know. Now, you might be like, Michael, is there something wrong with preaching topically? Not at all. Not at all. But just for a season, this is what God's calling us to do. You might say, well, will non-Christians come or will people want to be a part of that church? Friends, there's something more powerful than my jokes. Amen? There's something more powerful than stories. There's something more powerful than sexy topics. It's the Word of God. Because it tells us of the Son of God. And if that's not enough for you, I want to encourage you this year that we have New Life College, which is our, 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 our Bible college, which forms missional leaders for a modern world. At our New Life College, we're doubling down. We have this amazing course on the New Testament that we'd love to invite you to come either audit or do as part of your, your formation or study. We have a great subject on formation for ministry, another one on pastoral care. The reason why we have New Life College isn't because we you know, just wanted a Bible college for no reason. It's because we believe in formation. And some of you are being called to study this year to go deeper. I'd love you to see Tracy and her team out in the courtyard because this is an important part of who we are. Why? Because the Savior of the world stands on the shore of my heart today, on the shore of your heart, and says, come, follow me. 
that every painter, every carpenter, every blue, white, every colour worker would know the Saviour wants them to become more like Jesus. Every mother, father, son, brother, sister, daughter, more like Jesus. And I believe in what A.W. Tozer says, that nothing less than a whole Bible will make a whole Christian. So I want you to look at the person next to you real fast. Uh, some of you still looking at me. Look at the person next to you real fast. This isn't for them. This isn't for them. I want you to put your hand on you. This is for you. When I sat with our staff this week, I said, guys, this is not something we're inviting our congregation in. Guess who needs to become more like Jesus? This guy. Me. Guess who needs to read their Bible this year? This guy. You. Us. And maybe you're standing there and you're like, Michael, I don't know what I believe about all this. I, I, I don't know. I'm new to faith, new to Christianity. I was really hoping my first time in church, someone wasn't going to yell at me about reading the Bible. <laughs> that was pretty traumatic when I was young. I agree. So I need to let you know this. Following Jesus doesn't begin by reading the Bible. It begins by following Jesus. And the greatest question you can answer today is not, will you read your Bible this year? But will you follow Jesus? Who invites college dropouts, college graduates, who invites CEOs and plumbers, who invites mothers and fathers and single men and women all into the same story, not because they don't have a past, but because they have a future in Him. He stands in front of you today, says, come, follow me. Will you say yes? Would you stand with me? And let's pray together. Jesus, I remember 11 years ago when I sat in this church and you challenged me to read your Bible, to read your Word. And my life has never been the same. I believe there are burnt out Christians here apathetic followers people who don't even know who you are yet Jesus all across the spectrum and Lord we need you to light us on fire again with a fresh vision of what it means to follow you fill our hearts again right now I believe Jesus is calling you in your heart not because he doesn't know your past but because he knows your future and saying come repent turn and follow me and all you have to do is say yes. And your world will never be the same again. So Jesus, give us the courage to turn and follow you today. In your mighty name, amen. You know, if we just read the Bible without the presence of God, it's just gonna be a book that puts us to sleep. But with the power of the Spirit of God, this will be words that change your life. So we need a fresh wind, the very fire of heaven to lead us to become more like Jesus. Would you join with us as we worship one last time together today?